2: la like Lacazette, like come place your bets. How many goals do you think he can get? Sky's the limit, limit. Give him a minute, he Scored on his debut. Fast in it. Same as the
3: mighty in your mighty. Maybe that's why he came to Blighty. It's a sign, now's the time.
2: To break the cursor number nine. like Lacazette. Like Don't break your sweat. Take the ball, put it in the net.
4: Hello, this is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Uh welcome to the very first Arsenal Vision match podcast of the new season. It's a mouthful. I'll hand you over to the good guys in a minute. But before I do, just wanted to say a few words. It's been a while. Firstly, the tune at the beginning of the podcast was uh, made and created by my good friend Roxy Arms, who you can find on Twitter. So uh, if you want to watch the full video, go to the description and click on the YouTube link and uh, watch away. Secondly, there's been a few issues with downloading the podcast via the Arsenal Vision website. and had a few people asking about that, but that's hopefully now fixed, so you can now get the podcast every, every match on the website. So that's it. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the football season. I'll sure speak to you one of these good days. Goodbye.
1: Hello, dear listener. Uh, we are about to get underway with an Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, uh, covering the scintillating 4-3 victory over Leicester on opening night Friday. Um, before we do that, though, I have to apologize. I had tremendous technical difficulties, uh, And that's not a euphemism for problems in my life. I actually had internet problems that caused us to have to like break up this recording into like five different sessions. Uh, It was exasperating. We got through it. We have a pod. It is more or less complete. Uh, I am about to try to stitch it together. Uh, We'll see how that goes. But so I just want to apologize uh, for this maybe not being the most coherent podcast we could have put together as a result of those difficulties. In any event, uh, here is whatever I am able to make of the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Enjoy. Massive gathering of disgruntled racists tops the headlines from the weekend as Chelsea lose 2-3 at Stamford Bridge. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmat Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, I think we should get started first and foremost by saying, fuck Nazis. Shouldn't have to say that, but I think it's important to be on the record about it. And also, fuck Chelsea and their racist gang supporters. They lost. It was brilliant. Just one of many fun storylines from the weekend, but of course the weekend started on Friday. Uh, we played Under the Lights, Really your typical Arsenal match. 1-0, 1-1, 1-2, 2-2, 2-3, 3-3, 4-3, and that's it. That's how you do it when you're the Arsenal. So I'm here uh, mainly to introduce the men who are going to be telling you everything you need to know about the match and what to take away from it. Uh, so once you block me on Twitter, you won't have to deal with my opinions anymore. That is, again, at Yankee Gunner. So first, Tim is on Twitter, at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello, indeed. Uh, Clive is on Twitter, at P A F C. Hello, Clive. hello. Hello. Clive, I think it's important that you acknowledge that 99.9% of everything I said in our Brilliant Match Preview podcast uh, came to fruition. So
4: Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, we, I, I, I'm just going to bow at your feet. You're absolutely spot You're going to have to get pretty
1: low to do that, my man. I am not tall of stature. Uh, in any event, Ka- Paul is here as well. You can find him on Twitter at pants. Hello, Pause. Hello. Hello. Good. Yes. Nice, flat. Hello. No woohoo. We're not doing that? brand change no
3: no no I, I, lost, I, I left all my wahoos behind on Friday I was wahooed out
1: you were woohooed out yeah we um by the way I wanted we are now a sponsored podcast so I have to just do a quick ad read and then we'll get into it uh we are brought to you by the Barclays Premier League brand of pacemaker uh that's right if you're an Arsenal fan you will want to call 1-800-GET-PACE uh also uh Giroud has dialed that number many times it was not what he thought it would be in any event uh yeah you can get a pacemaker there and i recommend it so we'll start with tim tim uh before we get into all the nooks and crannies and all that and there's a lot to get to so we can just just a quick moment on this how strange was it to start the season on a friday on a friday night what was the mood like i know there have been some ups and downs to this preseason what was your sense of the experience of a friday night uh under the lights opening off the entire kicking off the entire premier league season
2: I really liked it, actually. Um, I think, given the fact that I, I can't even remember the last time we started a season at 3 o'clock on a Saturday anyway, um, I, don't, I don't think, you know, that's obviously all out the window now. So, um, in lieu of that, I, I actually quite like the Friday night games, to be to be quite honest, so long as... I mean, I, I think the Premier League should do something where there should be, like, a, a maximum distance for, um, for games they move to, you know, weeknights. But if they're going to move them to weeknights... Friday night is as good a night as any, um, particularly, I think, at the beginning of the season. I, I, I do think it, it worked really well for something like that where the anticipation's there. You know, your team is the first one up, the first one that everyone's looking at. Um, and particularly in an area like Islington as well, where, where the Emirates is, it's, I, I think it really, really lends itself very well to a Friday night game. There's loads of, you know, bars and restaurants around, um, etc., um, you know, particularly decent in the summertime. So, personally, I was, I was all for it. Um, not entirely sure what the Leicester fans would have thought. I think you can still get a train back to Leicester at that time of night, but I'm not sure.
1: And also, um, fuck them, who cares? But, yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I, I I loved it. I I'm actually a fan of the Friday night games, and particularly first game of the season, thought it really worked and i thought it really contributed to that kind of um that atmosphere of anticipation um you know that that sometimes quite brief positivity you get before, before the first game of the season. Yeah. I'm, I much prefer it to, you know, starting on the Sunday and watching everyone else have their fun before that. I, I think it works really well. I really liked it. It's great
1: when you win because it sets up a weekend of just being able to yeah. enjoy the shade and Freud, not having to worry about what happens and, and being able to just take it in stress-free. Um, and I also think it's great preparation for playing night games on unfamiliar days of the week, which we will be doing throughout <laughs> the season. Um, Paul, when the lineups were announced, um, there were a lot of predictable uh, appearances based mainly on availability. But I think there were some curious decisions. Certainly, oxlade Chamberlain being given the left wing back uh, role, even though he hadn't really excelled there uh, in the Community Shield, which means uh, Kolasinac had to play as one of the three center backs. The other two being Monreal and Holding. Obviously, some vulnerability there. Not a lot of choice that the manager had. Uh, Ozil making. The return, certainly encouraging Elneny getting the start, Ramsey protected, and Lacazette getting the start up front. When you saw it, any immediate concerns, excitement, reaction, things you think he maybe should have done differently? Um,
3: no, I don't think he had too many options, really, given it, it, the, the challenge with assessing the lineup was we didn't know the unknowns in terms of fitness. You know, where was Ramsey at? Uh, I didn't expect Mustafi, but you saw people saying, "Well, he needs to get Mustafi in there." Well, we got 38 games to play. Uh, only he could tell if Mustafi was ready. I don't think any, really, any of us expected it. So, I mean, I think the 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 front, whatever it is, front seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, made a lot of sense. Yeah, you can debate Ox, but I don't think it's a surprise. We'll, he's, we'll do he's an played. Ox
1: section, I believe. But yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: but it, nobody would have been shocked to see him on the left. Um, people, One or two might have been disappointed, but nobody would have been too shocked. So I think it was pretty predictable.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously ozo coming back in, It was unclear whether he should have, and I think he did look a little rusty. I mean, you could have made an argument for an Iwobi who has looked sharp this preseason and maybe was more prepared to start. But if you're going to be without Alexis already, um, you know, I think you, you really would like to have one of those two in the side, and ultimately he did contribute the sort of ball that started the move that got us the equalizer on the stroke of halftime. Clive, we'll come to... The defensive issues momentarily, and and that's yep. obviously an important part of the narrative of the game, although I'm not sure that that is the most important part of the narrative of the game, but uh, Alexander Lacazette gets his Arsenal career off to a dream start, 90 seconds in, he's on the score sheet, not the goal you would have expected, El Neni with a fairly straight ball into the box that he expertly heads down in the corner of the goal. Um, how important is it, do you think, given... Some of the fan frustration, the sentiment that we know has been all too prevalent in terms of transfer business, the question of whether he was the right guy. How important was it for him to open his account in this game and do it as quickly as he did?
4: He did well, right? I think, there's a, I think the view is, and I'm, I'm guessing the view is maybe it's my own view, I think we all want him to be good. You'll want him we to, don't want him to be bad. <laughs> yeah, but what I mean, good. We, we, we wanted Lucas good, Perez
1: to be good too. You know, what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we want him to be as good
4: as the price we paid for him,
5: mm-hmm.
4: right? We want him to be that good, right? So, um, we, we all we all secretly have our worry about a number nine shirt. I, I look at him and think, oh, okay, are you are you a Morata? Are you a um, Lukaku? Can you? Are you a coster? Can you, you know, own the front line on your own? And I did have a few concerns, you know. But I have to say, he's grown on me by the week, by the minute. And, um, and a lot of Arsenal goals, we, we can see coming. You know, we can see the progression. We can see, we recognise them. Mm. I don't know about you, but the goal sort of shocked me, the way it went in. My first emotion was... Wow, that's shocking. A, fir- a first time crossing to a crowded box, we don't do that. We don't have somebody who takes his first chance immediately. A surprise, It's almost like a surprise. And, and what's really becoming apparent, this guy's got layers to his game. He's got layers to his technique. He's definitely a player that combines. And I just like his calmness. And I, and I mistook his calmness for... Originally, when I saw him in the Emirates Cup, I, I mistook it for... Not languidness, not laziness, but okay, maybe you're not quite with the intensity. But he actually knows exactly what he's doing. He approaches the ball in a calm, controlled way. His technique is solid. And I just think he, he, he's, he's come to Arsenal. what it seems like, at the right time. He's not like a young kid that's thrashing around, bursting his bursting his lungs Burning to try to do well. He's just calmly going about his business and calmly getting respect from everybody around him. And I have to say, I, I'm I'm, su- I'm pleasantly surprised what we're watching. Um, I do think we need to use him. I do think if he hadn't scored in that game, I wonder what we'd have said. He had a purple patch at the start, a purple patch at the end, but an appearance in the middle where I didn't feel we used him. And um, Thierry Henry did an assessment of him tonight. Saw that, and, um, yep. Yeah, I've just seen it myself. And um, and he picked some points I didn't really pick, and maybe Tim picked it in the ground with, with, a, with a wider view, that he was making runs and not getting found. And I think we got to get to know each other. And I think he made a great point there. And we just got to use him more. That was my feeling, using more, getting more touches. But actually, we'll develop a way of how we use him. And when we do that, I think we got a very smart forward. And, of course, we're all secretly waiting for Alexis. To come back hopefully mm-hmm. and, and we see them together we see all three of them together at peak fitness and when that day comes we'll know everything about the
1: player that we bought you know what clive the, the thing that really impressed me though I, I mean he he did some things that i thought he could do he obviously had that one incredible mazy little dribble in the box from the giroud pass after giroud got in behind the back four ramsey found him with a chip and then uh yeah. lacazette shot brilliantly saved by michael out on the end of a, an in-the-box dribble but The thing that really surprised me that I don't think I knew was part of his game was the pressing, the harrying, the work rate off the ball. He won the ball back. He put them under pressure. And when you have Welbeck in the side too, that really becomes a a danger. And that, you know, you get Alexis in the squad who will do that also. I think that that adds a, a much more dangerous element to our game, allows us to get in the transition, allows us to attack lesser teams when they're not already in their low block and organized. And that to me was a really uh, impressive piece of his contribution. Now, I get it. You're in front of the home crowd. You're trying to impress your adrenaline's up, and maybe that's a part of it. But if that is a real feature of his game, I think it's going to come in handy. Paul, you have a you have a quick word to jump in there?
3: So, yeah, I think one of the un- other interesting aspects of Lacazette, a debate or a question that was had over the, the summer was, how good on was he on the counterattack? Uh, it was certainly a question... Jane Cavendish had asked on uh, on Twitter uh as she had some concerns about Arsenal in general and certainly with Alexis Sanchez in the side how efficient we were on the counter uh she had some frustrations there so that that was kind of an interesting question and from the bits of video I saw he wasn't actually that involved in in too many build-ups to the counter maybe on, on the the finish off on them uh, when you watched him on, on the YouTubes, etc. Um, so, uh, uh, we haven't seen that much of him, but he's been very efficient, very elegant, very slick on those counters. And I, I think you can say with every ball he gets, he does something with it. You know, Lucas Perez had a bit of that. Every time he got the ball, he did something useful for you. Um I think that's very much the case with Lacazette. He doesn't waste much. He's very efficient, silky, elegant. And the few times we've seen him cantering, um, he's done some really nice things moving along. I, I also, the other question I have with him, and I think it's it seems to be a positive so far, is that although he doesn't necessarily impose himself on a game, it's only because he's kind of in a sort of a stealth mode, finding space, being in the pockets. So, um, I mean, these are things to watch, but mm-hmm. you kind of see these aspects to him that you say, if that keeps up, this could really be something. So uh, you got to like him all around.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I think, obviously, the goal is important, and that's what you need from your striker. But we have a striker who scores goals. His name is Olivier Giroud. We're looking to see if Lacazette can do some of the things Giroud doesn't. And one of those is... Being able to press, being able to run, being able to get him behind, and, and also being able to help us pressurize and create transitions, and he's doing that. So, you know, great to see. Uh, Tim, mm. I'll give you an option here. You want to talk defense or offense? I mean, for me, the real story that's not getting the attention is how impressive we were in attack. I mean, Amen. a rusty yeah. Ozel, uh, no Alexis. A, a formation that is ostensibly Supposed to be more defensive in nature um, mm. Danny Welbeck playing Who's not necessarily a facilitator Or an end product guy Did get a goal in the game But we had a really good XG We battered him on XG we We're constantly creating chances Especially through the first half I thought we were imperious in attack In your mind Is is the fact that we conceded th- three goals Which I, I get it That counts and that's important Is that obscuring the fact That this was a very encouraging Dominant attacking performance
2: a little bit, yeah. Um, it, it does suggest that perhaps the balance isn't quite there. And I think this has been an ongoing issue for some years with Arsene Wenger's teams, that every time he cracks the attack, the back door is left open. And every time he shuts the back door, um, we don't look as good going forward. And I, I still think it's a little bit seesaw. Um, I just quickly add on Lacazette. I really liked his part in the second goal. And even though he, he did a bit of a wellbeck and really scuffed the shot, but if you watch the build-up to it, um, it's Ozil's got the ball and Lacazette just puts his hand out on the defender, gives him a little nudge and, and you know, that really invites and gives Ozil the eyes, you know, that's, that's kind of give the ball to me. And um, I think that, you know, assuming that Mesut Ozil stays, which I think he will, um, at least for this season, I, I think that's really, really encouraging that um, a striker... Who for once is is looking for Özil as much as Özil is looking for him, um, if that makes sense. I, I think it's worth going back and watching that goal and just just keep your eyes on Lacazette before that pass comes in. He really kind of sets it up and he has in his mind what he wants to do. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't quite get the shot off, but it worked out. But um, by the yeah, way, I, I,
1: I mean you mentioned balance. That goal is also a demonstration that considering one of our three center backs is the most yeah. furthest forward is the furthest forward Indeed. player who gives the ball to Welbeck for the goal. <laughs>
2: Indeed, and, and I suppose that's that's probably more why I think um, there, is, there, there is interesting things, there are interesting things to say about the defence. Um, not necessarily all of them, you know, brick bats and weren't we terrible. I think the things that really stood out for me were even though we had one centre-half available, he still went with three at the back, and that, to me, is really significant. Even though we had two left-backs in there, he stuck with three at the back, and that tells me, um, that he's really, really sticking with this, um, at least until things go really dreadfully wrong, which they might.
1: You don't think the fact um, that it was four at the back that got him the two goals late to win it might influence that?
2: No, no, because I think no. one of the things he likes is that, that he has the option to do that. He has the option to go four at the back. And he did it against Leicester at the back end of last season as well. He went um, four at the back for the last kind of 20 minutes and we went one lit up. I think that's one of the things he likes about it. I think the really interesting things that jumped out were that, that even though with pretty much no centre halves available, he still went with it. Um, I think another thing that's, you know, maybe a footnote really is that um, Callum Chambers still completely not involved despite that fact, um, which obviously says a lot about his future. But even last season, when he was off on loan, he started the first game of last season, um, so I think that tells you something that we probably already knew.
1: And the irony is I thought Holding's performance was very reminiscent of Chambers' first half against Liverpool. Maybe it yeah. was the one at Anfield where Chambers just could not pass the ball to a red shirt. Um Holding yeah. had a little of that going on.
2: Yeah, he did, and you could tell that Holding missed like a senior partner. But I think the other really interesting thing that, that kind of went on um is I, I think I've been saying during preseason that, you know, that that middle centre back role is so important not just defensively, but from a, a kind of starting the play point of view. So I think it will be Mustafi who plays there because of the way he passes the ball. And if he's not there, it will be Murtasaka because of the way he passes the ball. Um, and actually, what's interesting, if you watch Adrian Clark did a really good kind of pre-season breakdown. And he identified one of the big weaknesses as the way we've been passing the ball out of the back and how easily we've been getting pressed and turned over. Um, And Leicester did that to us a couple of times and that came out. And I think not having that kind of ball-playing central centre-back kind of hurt us there. And the other thing that makes that quite interesting was how quickly Arsene Wenger has completely gone against the idea of playing Mohamed Elneny there. Um, We we all spoke about it, you know, and we had a fairly detailed WhatsApp conversation about it in pre-season, which never made it onto a podcast because... Wenger went from doing it in pretty much every game. And I think that's because he didn't have, um, you know, Mustafi available. Uh, he only had Murtasaka. And and therefore, he, I think he thought that El Neni was the most natural replacement for Mustafi. Someone to do that kind of role, passing it out the back. And he had Mustafi available. Uh, sorry, he had El Neni available. And he still didn't play him there. Didn't play him there in the community shield, even when Murtasaka went off you know, he went from basically really talking up the idea of Elneny playing that central centre-back role and then it feels like he put him in there against Sevilla in the Emirates Cup and, you know, we conceded a goal that was largely down to Elneny. And uh, he seems to, that seems to have completely convinced him that he absolutely cannot use this as an option now. And, uh, and I suppose, look, that's what pre-seasons for, right, is to try these things out. And he probably thought, right, El nenny's looked okay against, you know, Sydney Wanderers and et cetera. Um, but let's give him a real test against Sevilla just to see if his defensive instincts are up to it. And he obviously decided not. Um, my, so I think there are <laughs> my a few only counterpoint to that. going to on. S- Sorry, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's done.
1: My, well, my my only counterpoint to that was going to be that I, I think if you're going to play El as the most central centre back of the three, you need to put him in between two natural centre backs who have yeah, size yeah. and positional awareness and tackling, and he's not going to do that on a day when he's playing fullbacks as the other centre-backs, no, right? No. So if there's any possibility that he might still want to use that as as an option, it's going to be when he's got you know a Koscielny and a Mustafi or a Gabriel yeah, yeah, yeah. or a or not when he's next to fullbacks. Um,
3: though, th- yeah, though Wenger did kind of rubbish the idea at the end of the experiment.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yep. yeah. He, he pretty went, much poo-pooed it. He went it. 360, didn't he? He went from... Yeah, this, you know this could. Be I was really just good. kidding, and, and yeah, it and could, the, it
4: could, could like, be. It could be as simple as he wanted to give Joe Willock the time in centre midfield in pre-season, yeah. and and he only wanted to give him any minutes. As simple as that. Joe Willock and you know he and his brother had some. Obviously, he's left now, but there's some issues around treatment, contracts, playing time, and so he looked after him. He maybe selected him for the pre-season tour ahead of his time, and he looked after him and gave him minutes. Now and then he went at the back and got his minutes. I don't think it's any
1: deeper than that. type. Well, so, so, let's talk about details. <clears throat> Let, let's talk about how they got their goals, Clive. And I, I think, you know, as as much as people have been critical of our defending, and the narrative from the sort of non Arsenal media, you know, uh, the podcasts and journalists that aren't Arsenal specific, is well, it's same old Arsenal can't defend. You know, sure they can attack and sure they're entertaining and fun, but they have no no ability to defend, and that's going to be their their downfall. And my my feeling is that that's not exactly what happened here. Leicester got had virtually no joy building up the play from the back, building up playing long, anything like that. Um, where they got their goals and where they caused us problems was with us turning the ball over. And in some cases, not under particularly a great deal of pressure, just making silly choices. Uh, Bellerin got the ball on the right wing, gave it to Ozil under pressure. He gave the ball away. They got a corner. They got a goal. Uh, Shaka was given the ball in not a great position. Unfortunately, he and El Elneny had gotten sort of too parallel. They were, on the same plane, Chaka uh, tried to play a ball to where he thought someone would be. No one was there. They got to go from that, and then we gave the ball away twice cheaply and failed to clear our lines for their third. I don't think it's that we we were open and gifting them chances and letting them play their way through us. I think we just couldn't stop giving the ball away. Uh, in your opinion, Clive? I mean, was really opening day jitters and just sloppiness more the culprit here than any um, any sort of uh, deeper? problematic defensive organizational issues
4: yep. yeah so I, I like rugby as well right? and sometimes when you play rugby they you have your 22 and when you what you have to do when you're defending your 22 you have to have an exit strategy there's a different ways to exit your 22 to get into touch to get out the field the same with football if you look at teams now people teams are switching on when you have the ball and our exit strategy coming out of our box was poor. The first goal, I think, I think, um, Czech plays it to Monreal. Monreal turns, plays a pass very quick and early before Sha- uh, before El Nelly was really prepared. He pops it off to his nearest man, which he always does, pops it to his nearest man. It happened to be Shaka, whose shoulders weren't turned correctly, so he pings it out to a blind pass out to where he hopes Bellerin's going to be. And they turn us over into our middle third, right? And they ping it into the box and score. I might have been the second goal, actually. So um, that was where we were weak. We just weren't slick at our exit strategy. And Leicester set traps. They set traps on Ergil. They set traps on Holding. And and I watch Spurs on Sunday, the same thing. They set traps around John Joe Shelby, and everyone's doing the same thing. Setting traps, one, two, three passes, into the box, disorganised. You're most disorganised when you have the ball. And that's what everyone's doing. And we are poor at it and we have been for a while and this is the big santi thing he he is great at an exit strategy he gets us out and it's not about massive pressing it's just smart defending you can either press by getting close to individual people or you can press by cutting off passing lanes so you force a mistake and leicester did it very very well and were very very efficient and scored from their three shots on target so yeah it's it, it made us uncertain and nervy. And then, of course, then we start to look at the people standing in the back line. And you recognize you've got two left backs and a 20-year-old kid that's boarding. You think yourself, okay, we got a problem here. But actually, if you look at it from a, from a <laughs> theme perspective, right? Sorry. You look at it from a theme perspective, there were two things wrong with us, right? And one of these things I'm not sure we can fix. One was our exit strategy, how we exited. And two, we just lacked defensive dominance. Now, close your eyes and bring it, bring the top players back in and ask yourself, do we totally fix that question? Are we dominant enough defensively? Are we physical enough? Do we need to be more physical? I keep thinking about our first group. We still concede the most goals in the top six and the most shots on target. So that's we've got to decide. How are we going to fix that issue if we're going to progress this team? Because offensively, I think we've made an improvement. Yeah. Defensively, we're exactly the same, just as open, watching NBA basketball back and forth. Big I, green space in the middle. There you go.
1: I, I guess it's just I don't know if I believe we're as open. I believe if you give the ball away in your your third of the pitch, there's going to be players out of position. I mean... That's yeah. why Klopp plays the way he does. That's why Pochettino plays the way he does, because the easiest way to disorganize a defense is to win the ball back from them when they're trying to be progressive, right? When they're when they're in the attacking phase and not settled into their low block and organized. I think, you know, if you look at the one game where we really abysmally struggled in, in the back three, and we weren't always brilliant in it, but the one game where we got absolutely dominated was at White Hart Lane against Pochettino's counterpress. And... You know, I, I think that's still an issue and it's still why I think I would love a central midfielder for us who can dribble, who can get out of space out of tight spaces with his feet, because Shaka gives that ball away that, that gives them the second goal in a position where maybe a Santi Cazorla takes a dribble, gets past those guys, and now we're in a counterattacking position. I think Lester are gonna play a lot of games like this. They are bad defensively, but you look at what they've got in Albrighton and Vardy and Mares and Hinacho and Okazaki, they're gonna score goals. Do I think they get that goal? I mean, check was uncharacteristically poor coming for that ball that Okazaki scores, not to mention if Mustafi and Mertesacker and Koscielny are in there, I don't think they get that goal. Um, and and arguably not the Vardy header from the corner. So, you know, I, I think that maybe there's an overstating of the defensive problems. And I know that's a crazy thing to say for a team that's been as poor defensively as we have been. I just didn't think that this game reflected the kind of defensive problems we have traditionally had in uh, you know, vis-a-vis open space and not being able to stop them from playing their way through us, uh, Paul. You, why don't you? Why don't you give me your thoughts? I mean, defensively, is, is was this just down to personnel and giveaways, or yeah. is this endemic?
3: No, I mean it may well be endemic, and lots of people went to the old. The tropes and the cliches about same old Arsenal, and you'd see the pundits arguing.
1: You can understand why they do that. I mean, let's be honest, right? We we do not have sort of the moral high ground from on this issue to say, "Oh, how can you say Arsenal can't defend?" Like, I get it. I just don't think you could watch this game and hold this game up as an example of the kind of defensive problems we've had.
3: Well, spot on. I mean, uh, you asked me about the lineup. I think the one thing we would have all agreed on that lineup is we're going to have a lively time in defense. It's almost not meaningful to assess our defensive part of this game. You'd also add in every game we've had against Leicester is a knife fight. From the, you know, going back two years ago from the championship season, uh, you know, the first game where we trans them 5-2 started by them going up, what, two goals first? Uh, That was the Santi Cazorla game at their place, and then we went, you know, it was just ping-pong all over the place, and they could have had more goals. We were definitely the better team on the day, but they easily could have had more goals that day. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly, kind of, each one of the games was its own version of what we saw, Uh, but defensively, obviously, uh, we were extremely vulnerable going into this game, and it's a lot more meaningful to talk about our, our offense, but um, you know, that's not how it plays out in the pundit circle, so I think you can only take so much out of it uh, when you look at the defensive. Now, some of the issues are come to our normal games, so it's, people are going to find it hard to resist it, but still.
1: Yeah, there's there's absolutely uh, can nothing. I, can yeah, I just jump in? Absolutely.
4: Yeah, sorry, Greg. I think Paul, you're absolutely right. And you can't take too much from the first game when you've got two left-backs and a kid in, in defence. And we're chasing a game where we take off centre-backs. So we go forward the back with a right-winger at right-back. You can't take too much from the event. And it's great that we actually won the game. But I do think we can learn from it. And by that, I mean there was a period where we just kept playing through the thirds when you just need to vary it. and You just need to go longer. You need to, to recognise the traps and say, you know what? They would just turn them around for a couple of minutes, right? They're getting emboldened. They can see Vardy fancy against our three defenders. He wanted to run at them. And we just kept playing in the wrong areas for too long and we kept enticing them on, right? And I, I felt we just needed to just say, hold on, we're under a bit of pressure. Let's manage this game. Let's go down the sides. Let's go, don't come into the middle where they want to smash us. Go down the sides, go into the channels and just stretch the game move the emphasis of the game further forward. And I think we need to learn that. We can't just keep playing the Arsenal way because eventually we're going to make a mistake and eventually we're going to be exposed. And I think not just for this game, we've seen that many times last season. Again, it comes back to recognising what your exit strategy is, seeing the game in front of you. And I actually called for Drew at half-time because he would simplify the game Mm -hmm. by making us go, we say, OK, there he is, we'll hit him. And straight away, you're going over the press. And they were rubbish, by the way, in their box. They couldn't defend. All, every time we put it in, they were just as shaky as us. And I just thought, recognise that, recognise that, put pressure on them, make them defend much sooner, then we're going to win this game. But we spent too much time in our middle to bottom third they got emboldened by doing that. They saw our weakness.
1: Yeah, Clive, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think the interesting thing is just that this was a very chaotic game in a, in a way and that there wasn't a lot of control. We had a lot of chances, but we didn't have a lot of control, and I think that contributed to some of the patterns of play. Tim, I want to get your thoughts on, on two particular issues in the match that I think were interesting. The first is just Kolasinac. This is a player that I think can be really important for us. How important is it? in your mind, that he gets the chance to play left wing-back, and how impressed were you with his attacking contribution?
2: Yeah, he he looks to me every inch a wing-back. Um, he looks like he wants to bring the ball forward at every opportunity, um, you know, which is fine. We've had quite a few defenders like that, I think, in the recent past. Um, you know, Thomas Vermaelen, is a bit like that, you know, guys who like to bring it into midfield. Um, and I think, you know... He, even at centre half, he, he looks like just purely because of his physical build, he should be a good centre half. But um, I'm not. I'm not saying he's a bad one, but he looks a lot more cut out for left wing back. And I, for one, you know, once we get the likes of Mustafi and Kachalny back, would really, really hope to see him there. Um, I think Nacho Monreal is absolutely, like, uh, you know, as as a left sided centre half, I think that's probably the ideal position for him at the moment, particularly because he's kind of beginning to hit that sweet spot where he's, what, 31 now, where his defensive brain, and I think you can see this, his defensive brain is getting keener. Um, but, you know, he's fast coming to the stage where his legs aren't going to be keener. So I think um, kind of on the left side of, of centre-back um, is really going to suit him. And Kolasinac, um should just give us, you know, a, certainly um, a burst... A burst of pace um, when he runs forward, um, but certainly of power as well. And it's it's probably an attribute we don't have a lot of. You know, it's it's always very overplayed, isn't it? That you know, Arsenal lack um, lack physicality and the rest of it. And I don't think that's been true really for a couple of years. But maybe on that left side a bit, we do. And particularly if we're playing with wing backs and you know we've got Alexis coming inside a little bit more, um, then perhaps it is it is something. Uh, something pretty decent to have. And I think we saw, you know, with his assist for Welbeck's goal, for example, and he had a couple of decent assists in pre-season where he really looked to get to the byline. And uh, that, that's one of the things I quite like the look of as well. Um, Arson really likes a player that goes to the byline. I think certainly in the last 10 years, for me, the most archetypal um, Arsenal, Arsene Wenger goal is when someone gets to the byline and cuts it back. I think that's what he wants more than someone who chucks crosses in. Um, and that's why Bellerin, for me, is is definitely ahead of Oxlade-Chamberlain as a right wing back. Um, if you want someone to chuck across him from the touchline, yeah, Chamberlain's probably better at that. But if you're talking about combinations and getting to the byline, which is a much, much better place to try and tee your strikers up from, um, then I think Bellerin's got that kind of that combination play that give and go and one thing i'm really looking forward to as well is the kind of uh, potential partnership between kolasinac and alexis because you've got alexis you know particularly in this formation just tucked in a little bit um away from that left hand side and at the end of last season we saw a lot of combination play between mom and alexis because you've got alexis coming inside and obviously um the defence's first thought is, right, what's Alexis going to do when he goes towards goal? So that's the angle they want to shut off first. And quite often that that left space for Nacho Monreal. And uh, I think Kolasinac, um, as a guy who really looks like he likes getting to the byline, I think that's a partnership that could look really interesting. And obviously they're both pretty powerful players as well, um, both on and off the ball. And uh, I think potentially and, and, you know, someone like Lacazette, if we are getting to the buy line nice and quickly, um, nice and sharply, then I think Lacazette is someone that could really benefit from that supply line as well.
1: Absolutely. And and look, the data supports it, because if I'm correct, I believe that the XG of chances created from crosses out wide is relatively low, whereas the XG from pullbacks from the baseline are relatively high. Um, mm. So obviously you'd, you'd want to maximize creating those kind of chances. And look, I mean, it, it is... Without a doubt, it was part of Lester's strategy to take advantage of the lack of power and size in our back line. They played their throw-ins long, you know, they, they tried to crowd the six yard box. Their crosses, you know, went into a crowded penalty area. That that's how they approached their corner kicks. There was there was a lot of direct play from them when they won the ball back. And I, I think they targeted that that personnel that we had back there. But Paul, I mean I, I think one of the issues that you have to discuss as you go through this game uh, is Oxlade Chamberlain. And look, I don't think either one of our wingbacks particularly shined on the day. Hector Bellerin did nearly score a goal, almost squeezed one under Schmeichel, when he probably should have put it across the box anyway. But I don't think either of them were particularly brilliant, but Ox was very, very quiet until he got switched to right back. I guess two questions. One, just maybe you can talk about his performance on the day a little bit and why you think the manager made the choice to swap the wingback's when he went to the back four, moving Hector to the left and, and Ox to the right. And then just what Ox's role is going forward, because if Kolasinac is the left wing back of the future, and Nacho Monreal presumably would be the understudy to that role, and if Hector Bellerin is the starting right wing back, and there's no indication he's going to play him in central midfield, does he have a role? So, And Clive, I'll give you a chance to to uh, uh, chime in on this as well. So those two things, Paul. I mean, Ox's Ox's performance and the swapping of the wingbacks and then where he goes from here.
3: Yeah, where he goes from here is the bigger question that I don't think there's a good answer for. Maybe I'll leave that bit to Clive. Uh, On the day, I guess I saw it a little bit different to you which is, I think he was very, very, very busy. He wasn't quiet. He just wasn't very eye-catching. Well, yeah, he just statistically,
1: eight, yeah. he completed eight dribbles. I mean, that that is an astonishing number. What's crazy is he had one key pass. I mean, you'd like to believe that when you're, you're you know, dribbling eight times successfully that you are opening up passing lanes to, to make the right decision at the end of that, and that wasn't happening.
3: I, I think that's fine if you're counting key passes, assists, and goals, but sometimes you're the guy who gives the pass to. So if you look at the goal that goes up through uh, the Danny Welbeck goal, that started by Ox making the right choice. If you look at, I think it's the uh, the, the mazy dribble, as you described it, of Lacazette. Uh, it's Ox who swings the ball from the right wing across to Ramsey, who picks it up and plays it in. Um, so... I really didn't, he didn't have his most brilliant game. Um, it, 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 but when I had a really good look at what he did, I mean, he did more of everything than almost any player on the pitch. He had more blocks, he had more tackles, aerial challenges, interceptions. I mean, he was number one or number two for everything. So he wasn't quiet. You might It might have been some, you could argue it's Coughlin's, like in that he did a lot of shit, it's whether it amounted to anything. But I actually think he played a role in that game, and it was like it's the old XG chain or the XG build-up role, which is he was a guy who passed maybe three or four down the line but he did his job he he kept the ball or he took a shot but after beating four players you well, know what
1: would be your if, your answer to the claim that at 2-3 down his head went down and he had a really bad period where it seemed like he was just sort of pouting on the pitch cuz i i definitely feel he, that his his attitude stunk during that a, a stretch of the game there when we went behind again
3: i actually thought all through the game he had this kind of funky body language mm-hmm. but and I'm not saying it didn't have some impact, um, but I also remember times when he was the guy that was switched on. You know, he had Mares covered at the far post when the ball coming was coming in uh, in the first half. Making tackles in the second half, deep into the game, in our back pocket, in areas that Holding and Belrin weren't snuffing out play. So he, he was. I'm not saying it was brilliant. I'm not saying he. I couldn't pick holes in aspects of his game. I'm not saying he wasn't in a bit of a funk and his head isn't thinking about a move somewhere else. But for most of that game, he was, you know, you don't end up having more busyness than everybody else on the pitch for no good reason. So uh, I think he's probably struggling with things a little bit if he's really looking at a move but uh, I certainly wouldn't write off his whole game. I think he can treat, you know, a dribble up the wing where he decides his best option is to lay it off to Ozel to do something with is not the worst call in I the love world. That.
1: No, I, I love that. Paul, my, my problem is the dribble yeah. up the wing where he goes all the way, you know, past everybody and then past everybody again and then past everybody again, and then gives it away or gets to the baseline. And then at the end line, and then uh, float, that floats across game, in the touch or gets to I, 22 I yards out and then takes a pot shot. I, my, problem sure. with him isn't I don't when think he does he the did simple much thing.
3: of that i think if you look at what he did in this game it, uh, that relates to a game or two i think we saw during the kind of the preseason. i think he was pretty tidy pretty clean and uh, kept the continuity going i'm not saying you couldn't find a couple of moments i think overall you know At the end of the day, what's more important, is he staying or is he going? And do we want him to stay or do we want him to go? But in this game, Mm -hmm. uh, he might have had a couple of moments. I think overall he was good. I know why, in my mind, I know why he was switched. Uh, We brought Giroud on. Um Ox is not going to be the best crosser from the left wing, but he might have been our best crosser from the right wing. Yes, I theory. will agree
1: with that. Yes. He he puts a better ball into the box. And we saw that from the right, he put in a scintillating low cross in. But I I agree yeah, with you that I, once Geronimo is there. It, yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, it was a little bit of a reflection on Bellerin in my in my book. The might the manager mightn't want to admit this, but Bellerin was having a pretty iffy game. He was he didn't look like the guy who was going to make the difference. And Ox is a guy who might have made the difference that night. So to me, that's, that's a little bit of why the switch came about, but Mm -hmm. mostly because Ox could run at them from the right, shake things up and get some crosses in.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I I will acknowledge that. I mean, I think the alternate opinion would be to protect him a little bit where he was struggling on the left, but I definitely think once you on the pitch and you want to start getting balls into the box more, you're going to get better crossing opportunities from Ox on his stronger foot. Um, Clive, why don't you chime in on the wing backs, how they played, yeah, well, what the roles were, you know, what you thought yeah. of Ox's performance?
4: Uh, Ox was one of our better players on the day. Oh, and, uh,
1: on. Uh, Tim, I'm going to need you it, here it, in a minute, it, Tim. It, it was, <laughs> it,
4: it, because it, I'll tell you why, because he, he drove us forward. He only had a poor game. He had a poor game. He he lost a bit of confidence in his distribution, so he was a little bit muted. Xhaka uh, does his normal role, but he needs pistons around him. He drove us forward. And I actually thought Bellerin had, had one of his worst games. I'm one of his biggest fans. And if he's playing European Cup final tomorrow, I think he should play. But I felt he left Rob Holding alone. He left him to die. He did not help his mate out at all. That channel was screaming out for some sort of seniority leadership. I felt Bellerin should have helped him a lot more. And what what happens is, I always find that Bellerin is a great sort of wing-back When there's space to run into, and what Leicester did, they retreated quickly, and 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 Ozil was a little bit off his game, so he didn't have his wall pass. So if you notice, every time he got the ball in the right hand corner, he did a Theo, where he just knocked it back. I'm like, okay, it was he got the pre-assist for the first goal. We did that about ten times in the game, so he never threatened behind them hardly at all, because there wasn't much space. Whereas Yux now, he dribbled up to his man, and he beat his man, and then done his work. I felt he was more of a threat And that's why Benga pushed him over to the other side So I think we got With the two of them If you're looking for a deep block team at home I think the Ox is the better option Top six team where we have less of the ball And it's more about transition I think Bellerin's a better option And away from home When we're not going to dominate I think Bellerin's a better option If you look at I always go back to the two games City and Chelsea City I think Ox played right wing back against City And I thought he was He was very very good but in the Cup final, I don't think I've seen Bellerin play any better. I mean it was a game where there's lots of space to run into and he did really really well so it's 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 a difficult one but the the problem is one's got a six year contract and one's got eleven months to go and our investment is in is in Pellerin and so Bengal's trying to look after him. If, if Ox is sulking, it's because he's having to play on his left foot and he's not a left wing back. Yet we're judging him in that position and I think it's really unfair.
1: That may be unfair, but having said that, he hasn't nailed down any position and made it his and I'm not saying that's necessarily his and, fault. And in that is fair. That is fair. Yeah, and so... And that is fair. You know, if his route into the team right now is left wing back, you can pout about it or you can try to make yourself undroppable. I, and I, look, I, I get your point. I don't think Bellerin was very good in this game, but Tim... Um, quickly on on uh, Bellerin, because I want to I also touch on uh, Ramsey and Giroud, the substitutions that won the game for us. But, um, I mean, do you have an alternate view perhaps on Oxlade Chamberlain's <laughs> day? Hopefully. <laughs>
2: um, I, I thought it was, I, I thought in many ways it was a fairly typical um, Oxlade Chamberlain yeah, yeah. game. I, I thought it was quite eye catching precisely because. You know, all of those stats—they're quite eye-catching things, aren't they? Dribbles, interceptions, um, things like that. Um, but then you ask yourself, where was the end product? Um, and there wasn't any in a game where we scored four goals. Um, that was fairly open. That, like we've said, we attacked very well. I don't, I don't think Chamberlain really contributed to any of that. Um, and yeah, so it it was, it was all a little bit. Um, you know, we have an expression of, in England: uh, "all fur coat and no knickers," um, and that, that was kind of what it struck me as. Really, I, you know, I don't. That sounds was, fantastic, by the way. I could go for some <laughs> of <about> that. <laughs> but like, I—I I don't think he was absolutely dreadful or anything. I—I I just thought that once again, in the physical aspects of the game, in getting in front of his man, in you know, beating a player, he can do those things. We know he can do those things. But when it came time to use the brain. Um, he was lacking again and he he just didn't make the right decisions on um, the the switching the two full backs over I think it's a mixture Um, I agree that Bellerin wasn't great Um, I think I may be inclined to give him a little bit of mitigation in terms of he came back a bit later for pre-season he was at the Euro under 21s and you know he's he's not as deep into his preparation as, as some of his teammates are um, you know, it, it remains to be seen if, in five or six games, Bellerin is still playing like this. Then, no, that's not the explanation. But that could be an explanation. In I terms of swapping to. them, in, in terms of swapping them over, I think it's a bit of both. Actually, I think, yeah, when you've got Giroud on, yeah, getting Chamberlain on, uh, getting Chamberlain on his on his stronger side makes some sense. But one thing Arsene Wenger does not do. If he thinks a player is a problem or he thinks the player is struggling badly, he doesn't move him into an unnatural position. Um, and he's, I don't think he's ever put Bellerin on the left before. I, I can't think of a time that's ever happened. Um, and, and it could be a little bit that he thought, well, actually, you know, um, let's play the averages here. Chamberlain on the right will probably do more than Bellerin on the right and therefore it's worth doing but at the which and i think there was an element of that but at the same time i don't think he moved bellerin you know to get him out of the way or cuz he thought he was struggling because if he thought that i think he'd have just taken him off um quite frankly or done something else with him or perhaps you know put bellerin and chamberlain on the right together um he he doesn't move struggling players out of position um generally speaking it's not something he does so i i think he thought well you know Bellerin can cope um, on his left uh, at left wing back, but you know Chamberlain's not really coping there at the moment. And, and you know, yeah, in fairness, that that's not really Chamberlain's position on the left hand side, particularly. I think he can play, you know, the left side of the front three because you've got a lot more avenue to cut in um, from there or get to the byline. But when you're when you're a wing back, it's about providing width um, and actually you Know wing backs like you can do that inverted winger thing, but you don't really tend to have inverted wing backs, that's, that's not generally how they work. So, that you know, again, there's a fair bit of mitigation maybe for Chamberlain that you know having to play as a, a really true wide player, but like I said, at the same time, that I don't think that entirely explains the fact that um, he, he got himself in some good positions, but when he got to those positions. He just didn't make the right decisions for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are parallels with Kieran Gibbs. I mean, in the sense that we do see Gibbs get into good positions. He definitely has the athleticism to play in that position, but he just can't seem to make the right final decision. And when you guys were defending Oxlade-Chamberlain last season against uh, my efforts to slander him immensely, um, you know you were saying, well, he's finally giving us end product. He's giving us goals and assists, and that's what he needs, needed to be doing. And I think what we've seen, you know, albeit you know, in preseason and then in this game was he had those eight dribbles. He did get into good positions, but when there are nine men ahead of you and you're chasing the game and you shoot from 24 yards out, 25 yards out, you know, that's not the right choice. When you dribble your man and dribble another man and dribble another man and then give the ball away because you don't have your head up, That's a problem, and I just think we see that from him too much. Tim, I think a player who made a huge impact, a huge difference, there were two of them. They were the substitutions the the manager made, and while they were obvious ones, I think the manager deserves the plaudits for making the changes that won the game. Mm. Um, Aaron Ramsey had a a critical uh, contribution to the win here, but... What I think is really important, if there's one thing that has been the problem with Aaron Ramsey since his purple patch a few seasons ago, it's that he has been a poor finisher. He's been poor in the box. Mm. He's underperformed XG. How encouraged were you by that gorgeous one touch to control and perfect second Mm. touch to finish in terms of what that would mean to Arsenal if, if Ramsey is indeed coming back into the kind of form that saw him look like he could be one of the best attacking midfielders in Europe?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the end of last season, he's now scored, what, three in a row? Um, He scored the last game of last season against Everton, scored in the cup final, scored again on the first game of the season. Um, We know that Ramsey can be quite a streaky player in this regard, but we also know that he needs a bit of a run of games. And uh, hopefully, you know, the fact that he's had a pretty full pre-season is very helpful. But hopefully, you know, that, that summer gap hasn't done anything to abate this, you know, the, some sense of a, a run of form, some sense of momentum. Um, so I, I think it could be very significant. Um, but obviously we've got to look after his fitness. The fact that he didn't start, I think, was part of that as well because I think we remember what happened on the first game of last season. Um, and indeed it's happened many times with Ramsey where he, where he broke down. Um, I mean, that, that would be enormous for us if we could get him... You know, even if you could get to ten um, this season, that that would be really, really big. It would take some of the kind of because you know, let's face it, last season it was basically Alexis or death, really. That was <laughs> that was it. And then like you know, Giroud popping up with with some important goals here and there, but it really was becoming a one-man band. Um, and maybe the way Alexis plays kind of predicates that 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 does happen, but. Um, I think if we can bring Ramsey to the party um, and bring Lacazette to the party a bit, then I I think we're looking at offensively, we're looking at something really, really formidable. Um, And it will be interesting to see how how all of that works out. I think I I kind of said pre-match that, um, you know, without Alexis, that Ramsey is in a way our closest player to Alexis in terms of he has that real risk-reward factor and uh, I was saying that if he was fit enough I would have actually played him um, perhaps alongside Ozil in one of those number 10 spots uh, for a game like this precisely because I think risk-reward is something that that you you perhaps need to do against teams like Leicester who to be fair I thought were going to be more defensively formidable than they actually were. Um, Scoring in the first
1: 90 seconds probably threw everybody's match plan into disarray, to be fair.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, indeed. And, uh, yeah, and I I just felt, um, yeah, like I said, I I think Ramsey in in many ways is our most similar player to Alexis. What will be interesting is if Ramsey can keep that up, you know, while Alexis is in the team. Um, If, you know, he still feels empowered to make that run. Um, whether, you know, it's him on the back post receiving that ball, telling Walcott to get out of the way, or whether Alexis is just there going, all of you fuck off, it's my ball. <laughs> um, you know, that, that that kind of remains to be seen. But I don't know. I think um, I, I think hopefully if he can just stay fit and just get a run of games together and get this partnership with Xhaka going. Uh, and also, I, I think it's um, it's worth noting that it was Xhaka that played the ball to him um you know if, if that brings some sense of partnership um you know I, I that that's been the biggest thing for Ramsey over the last kind of three seasons or so it's just so stop start and if he can just hit that stride a little bit and I think at the moment with the squad as it is, he is an absolute undisputed starter um alongside Granite jacker um you know El Nenny or Coquelin aren't a huge threat to him, neither is Jack Wilshire. So if he can just keep that kind of momentum going and stay fit, then he could have a very, very good season.
1: Yeah, and with all due respect to Elneny, I mean, you, you saw his limitations on the day, and you got a very uh, quick look at the difference that Ramsey can make. I think we shouldn't forget the sumptuous chip pass he played to Giroud the Giroud laid off to Lacazette that led to that Maisie run in the box and, yeah. and the save. I mean, that was that was a sensational pass that Mesedozo would be proud of. So a really good contribution from him. But for me, the thing that's been missing from Ramsey, fitness aside, is composure, control, and uh, precision in the box. And the way he took that ball down to set himself up on his stronger foot and then finish it, that's exactly what he's been missing. And if that's there, that composure and control... In the box, it's going to make a huge difference for him and for us. And, Paul, the winner goes to Giroud. Just an absolutely incredible display of strength. We know that this man is uh, one of the best uh, headers of the ball in the game, one of the strongest center forwards in the league. He showed that as he was being undressed and just bodied defenders off of him, a huge... Sweep of that meaty forehead to get the ball to go in uh, under the crossbar. Great team celebration and a phenomenal release in front of the home fans given all of the negativity that just surrounds Arsenal in general but that could have been surrounding us. And and what's happened on opening days and previous seasons to get the win was so important. And and he gets the headlines for that. Um, First of all, just how impressed were you by the strength and the finishing that he showed to to be able to uh, get that one in the back of the net? or near the back of the net.
3: Yeah, I think it was superb, and we mentioned his contribution earlier with the Ramsey chip over the top and the clever layback to Lacazette. Mm -hmm. He he didn't get the ball too much because he was so heavily marked, but every time he got it, he did something significant. I think we've said he looks a different player when he comes on with 20 or so minutes to go. He's suddenly fast. He's already strong, but he's much stronger, All, all on a relative basis, but it really makes a difference to his game. And maybe it's actually the showcase he needs coming into the World Cup next year, ironically, is to be in this two-striker scenario. I mean, the other interesting aspect was seeing Lacazette shifting to the left uh, effortlessly and finding ways to contribute and dovetail. And you heard, uh, probably heard, I I didn't hear the interview, but uh, Giroud joking. With a wink of the eye about how la- how good Lacazette looked from the left, so <laughs> um, clever. You know th- there will be games this year where we're really glad we have both those strikers. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Giroud coming on with twenty minutes to go, or maybe it's a lineup where, you know, when we talk about Ox and his role in the team, I mean that that's all determined by, uh, sadly, who's still standing come January. You know. Uh, w- w- we have too many players for too many positions always in August or September. Now, I understand Rarely that's Rarely by not November. How it,
1: yeah, that's fair. <laughs>
3: yeah. So it will all change. Uh, but you really want... I couldn't believe... I mean, we all knew it, but I couldn't believe when Wenger's saying, you know, I opened the door to Giroud. I mean, we all knew that was the case. But if we're going to win this damn thing... You don't sell Giroud. You don't let him go. You just don't. What team would give up his goals? Uh, Because it's not like it's Lacazette or Giroud. The goals Giroud is going to score to us for us are probably utterly different goals at different times, from the bench or from a different uh, problem that we're trying to solve than Lacazette was. So you give up. You know, if Giroud gets 15 goals for us, it's not 15 goals some other striker on the pitch was going to get. They were the 15 goals coming off the bench or because that was the kind of player we needed against that team. It's, you know, I love Arson, but man, this is the year to be an utter bastard. I don't care what promises you made, you know. Well, you're you're staring a
1: rebuilding process in the face next summer, potentially, based on the players who could be out of contract. So if you're not going for it this year, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Um, Yeah. And and I agree with you. Look, I I think he is an important contributor to the team. Um, I think you have to start to make some decisions about who you're selling and who you're keeping. Because if you are keeping Alexis without a deal and Ozil without a deal... You know, I'm fine losing Alexis and Ozil for free, but if you're going to lose Alexis and Ozil for free, you better get some money from someone. Oxlade-Chamberlain seems like the obvious choice there. Clive, Sadly. I, I want to just make a point about Giroud. So no. it's a tremendous goal, and it comes at such an important time, and it gives us such a critical win to start the season. And yet what I think it obscures is the fact that as great as the goal was and as wonderful a servant as he has been, we were absolutely devastating in attack throughout this match before he came on and arguably in a more defensive setup. Let's face it, three at the back is a more defensive setup than four at the back. Um, Do you think there's a danger that when you come on and you score the winner as a late sub that it makes the argument that you should be the guy who should be leading the line when in fact having the mobility and energy and pressing and chaos that Lacazette and Welbeck bring had us attacking just fine. I mean, I'm again, I'm thrilled that Giroud got that goal, but it really doesn't change anything in terms of how we want to play from the start, does it?
4: Not really. I think, I think Giroud, I agree with almost everything Paul said about Giroud. I thought the goal was... Unbelievable. I mean, he's got Harry Maguire by his neck. He, you see, uh, there's a bit on TV you see Harry Maguire walk off the pitch and he's got scratch marks on his neck and he looks crestfallen. He's, he's got Wes Morgan hanging off the back of his shirt. He manages to pin them both and then directs it into the post stamp. I mean, it is unbelievable goal and there isn't many people that can do that and, and uh, I think he is valuable I, th- I think it's really interesting this whole game it's interesting the way you guys see it compared to how I see it and, um, what I will say is that game was showed in 176 countries so the whole world was watching us And on the day when our goalkeeper was shaky our young centre half had his worst game for Arsenal with a left back playing centre centre back We had another left back charging up the field into penalty box and having an assist not say we were ready to sell him. But had had an, had an average game. We had Shaka doing his thing, but gave away and made a mistake on the second goal. El Nelly was invisible. We've got we got, got Drew. We've got questions about. We've got Welbeck. We've got questions about. We've got Lacazette. We're learning to to bring into the team. We had Ozil wasn't fit, and we won four three and probably the best game of the season for best game we've seen at home for I don't know how long. There's something not. There's so many things not right. But there's so many things right. And within the minutes that we played well, we played really well. And if I again, if I look at Arsenal from 30,000 feet looking down, we just need to reduce the amount of goals we concede. And if, if whether we really prepare to do that, because even on the first weekend, most of our competitors did not concede any goals apart from Liverpool. So um, that's, that's what we've got to fix. But um, I do think... We won't see the real team until the transfer window shuts. And I've just seen an article come out saying next season, all the teams want to bring the transfer window to close earlier because we're actually actually disappointing the the fan because we're watching a phony war at the moment because now the squads are complete and it's it's a real shame.
1: Yeah, well, and the other thing is, Clive, look, we've said this on this podcast to the point of exhaustion. All of us, all of us on this pod, all of us as Arsenal fans, the reason we fell in love with Arsene Wenger was in part the trophies and the winning, of course, but in part Arsenal football, you know, changing it from one nil to the Arsenal to the prettiest football in the country, and Arsene's beautiful, flowing, free-form football. And we've talked about how we've missed that, how we haven't been fun to watch, how we've gone a couple of seasons where we have been pretty hard to watch, frankly. And I think... Yep. You know, I will take some car crash comedy defending if it means a little bit more of the kind of scintillating attacking football that we've been known for. You know, I don't expect us to win the league. I expect us to compete, but I expect us to play football that is true to Arson's philosophy. And he has the players to do it now. And it, at least in this first game, that's exactly what happened. We attacked and attacked and attacked some more. And eventually we were able to bang their door down. So. It's it's three crucial points. It's important contributions. I mean, you can't ask for much more than your big money striker coming in and opening his account. Um, You know, Aaron Ramsey coming off the bench and scoring brilliantly Giroud coming off the bench and scoring brilliantly. Um, you know, I I think Welbeck getting a goal is important, even though kind of scuffed it in, because he's a player we've talked about so much that if he adds end product, he's going to be devastating. Uh, A final word over to you, Paul. I mean, how do you... What's what's the coda that you put on on the three points we got for the day?
3: Well, I mean, by far the most important thing is the three points. 4-3, terrible defending. Who gives a shit in a while? It's almost like the community shields. The only thing that matters was the three points from the first game... Uh, of the uh, season, but as you're talking about like the football we've all missed, um, uh, I've enjoyed a lot of the football that others haven't. But I will say this: the last three meaningful games we've played now—you can call—I would call them competitive games, although it includes the Community Shield in my book, the FA Cup final, the Community Shield, and this game on Friday night against Leicester. We're all absolutely cracking games, uh, dramatic, fun, wonderful to be an Arsenal fan at. Uh, doesn't doesn't remove all of the the sins and and misdemeanors of the the season that went before. But when you just take, if you were to live those three games, we're absolutely spoiled. Unfortunately, we're absolutely tortured for other parts of the season, but. Uh, right now and going forward if we can keep this up uh, which we can't but you know three games like that in a row just sensational
1: yeah i i have no problem watching that kind of football i mean it, it, i know it makes some people pull their hair out when we're conceding three goals at home but i mean it beats some of the scale ah, shit it. that we've seen i i enjoyed it and and i think that's well said i look i appreciate you guys uh going at least uh, the two of you who are uh, over in England, going pretty late because of our technical difficulties. So, thank you for that. And I am sorry that that happened. Uh, I take full responsibility and I will be sacking myself in the morning. Um, Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Clive, appreciate it. Thank you, young Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Uh, thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Woohoo! Woo-hoo, indeed. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith, block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, I will iron out whatever these technical difficulties were so that we can get a little more flow into our game uh, as we uh, are hopefully talking about beating the Orcs. In the meantime, maybe put a little energy into Liverpool's uh, Champions League qualifier. I, I mean, I guess, you know, if you really, really want to be pragmatic about it, you can say they, we want them to get into the Champions League because then they'll have a harder time domestically, but... Yeah i'd still be fine with them getting knocked out in any event um could be an interesting week in the transfer window you never know so uh we will come back after the next match talk about all the stuff that did or did not happen in the window uh liverpool losing by six goals to hoffenheim i think that's who they're playing and then uh, obviously we might even talk a little bit about our seven nil victory over stoke until then cheers and up the arsenal
5: MyPatriotSupply.com